If you can't make fun of yourself, who can you make fun of? And I love making fun of myself every day. God is good. Um, One of the incredible things uh, about um, worshiping together that we have as a body of Christ is we get to come speak life. We get to come speak love. We get to come speak truth. And uh, that's why we come. I I pray that that's why you come is not only uh, to be filled up, with the Spirit, which is a daily process for us, right? We talk about that a lot in here. It's not something we just one time happens and then we're done, right? It's a daily process in our life. But the, the reason the body gathers is not primarily just about hearing good music or, or being inspired by a message or anything like that. The reason the body gathers is that we draw that encouragement, that strength from each other. As we hear words of encouragement, words of strength, words of kindness said to each other. So this morning we're entering into a different part of James. Uh, We're going to be in James uh, chapter uh, 3 verses 1 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and open there this morning. Uh, So we're going to be talking about a faith that speaks. So kind of to recap where we've come from. uh, So we start with a faith that endures. Uh, you know, uh, considered all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that that tests your faith. So there's a, a testing endurance we experience. Uh, the second thing is a faith that loves, right? Faith that loves and stands the test of time. So, uh, and we talked about what economy are you living in, the economy of God or the economy of this world. The third thing we talked about was a faith that acts. Where, where is the fruit? Where's the fruit that, that shows who you are as a believer in Christ? And then last week, we talk, or, and then we talked about a faith that sacrifices last week. And we asked the question, what does your faith cost you? And so today we come to a part about a faith that speaks. So we know that James, and we've talked about it, um, is the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote um, this particular letter uh, close to 2,000 years ago. He knew what it was like to experience the power of the cross. James was not, as far as we know, a believer until after the resurrection. Um, and, and so um, we wonder many times what it may have been like for James growing up as Jesus' half-brother. I mean, you could probably imagine that, right? Uh, Jesus is, uh, is your earthly uh, brother as well as your heavenly (laughs) Lord uh, to experience that and James probably sinned a lot against his older brother I would assume and uh, maybe in in things he said I wonder how many times maybe he spoke sinful things or wrongful things uh, to Jesus or even to those uh, in his own family Uh, so historically James is writing to predominantly Jewish congregation Christians so we talked about that we keep that in focus with us this morning and also um, he made it very clear that there need to be spiritual markers in your life how does someone we asked the question last week how do you know if you're saved how do you know if somebody else is saved you know well I think our initial reaction is to draw back and say, well, you can't know. Nobody knows. But the Bible, in fact, the New Testament is very clear. There are markers of someone who is a true believer in Christ. Um, so if you look with me at uh, James chapter 3, we're going to read 12 verses this morning. Uh, I'm going to start this morning just with the first five verses, and we'll take a little break there and talk about it, and then we'll come to the last part. If you'll stand with me this morning uh, as we read God's Word together. Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach 
will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by the strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs it, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Have a seat this morning. So consider this. So the very beginning, he starts off by calling them brothers. Okay? And he says, not many of you should become uh, teachers. Okay? And he's specifically talking about those who preach and teach uh, the Word. Those who are, are pouring into people's lives as vocational pastors and ministers. Okay? So he starts off talking to them and he says, you've got to be real careful what you say. And then the second part is then he begins to talk about nobody's perfect, but able to bridle the tongue, somebody who can control the things he says, which is a real interesting thing in our, in our society and world today, right? That somebody who can control what he says is able to control his whole body, but he says it's a very small part of the body, yet it boasts really, really amazing things. Um, so I was serving as family pastor at First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. It's way East Texas, um, and I, I held many hats from student ministry to, this is a horrible job description, to recreation, to education ministry, to senior adults, I mean, you name it, I was doing it in that church, and so they decided they wanted to send me to a conference in New Mexico, and so um, the secretary of the church had made my reservations to go to this conference, and so I was headed to the airport, assuming that I was supposed to go to Bush Intercontinental Airport. Just took off. I didn't even look at the ticket, which is really bad. Um, I should have checked things out. But I, I got on the interstate, and I was just headed to, to uh, Houston, and something inside of me said, hey, I should probably check my ticket, make sure my boarding time, make sure I'm on, on key with everything. And so I looked at it, and it said DFW. Okay, so Dallas. And, and, and Houston, I mean, they're, they're two opposites. I'm heading the opposite direction from, from uh, Dallas on the interstate. So I'll look, and I'm like, and, and this is, by the way, this is pre-9-11, okay? So it doesn't take as long to get through the airport. But I only have like a couple hours to get to my flight. And so I book it, I wheel around, and I'm busting it, I'm sure, breaking lots of traffic laws I shouldn't have broken at the time, trying to get to Dallas in time to catch my flight. I get there just in time. Uh, to, you know, They throw my bags on the plane, and I get on, and I head to New Mexico. You know, There was something that I failed to do, and it may have seemed like a small thing, but it was a really a big thing, right? I failed to look at the details. I failed to look at the details of my trip of what I was supposed to be doing. How often do we just flippantly say things, they roll off our tongues, they come out of our mouth, and we think, well, that's no big deal. You know, that's just a small thing. That's a, that's a small thing. What James is going to show us this morning, it's not a small thing. Words have the power, literally, of life and death. Words can bring life, but they also can bring death. Words that are smoking, spoken are really no small matter to God, and that's our big idea this morning. Words that are spoken are no small matter to God. God takes the things you and I say 
very seriously. And it's, and, it's, and, it, and, and it's the thing that a lot of times, especially in our culture and world today, we, we have this sense of autonomy, right? That you can say whatever you want to say, but you don't, you're not responsible for the things you say. Once they leave your mouth, you're good right so we can post them on facebook we can put them online we can we can put all these things out there but we claim autonomy that uh, we claim a, a pullback from what we say well the reality is is the the thing that speaks the loudest or should speak the loudest in our life is god and so i'm going to take you just on a little journey before we really get into our part to play in this i think the first thing we have to understand is that god speaks he spoke first did he not God speaks. God spoke first. In fact, in Genesis 1-3, it said, then God said, let there be light. I mean, go to the very beginning of your Bible. Before any of this happened, before anything else happened, God spoke. God said something. It said, then God said, let there be light. And then the phrase after that, then God said, comes before everything he created. Have you ever noticed that? It comes before everything he created. Then God said, da-da-da-da, and it happened. Then God said, ba 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 and it happened, right? All of this happened. In fact, in Psalm 33, 6-9, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all of the hosts of heaven. Hebrews eleven three says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen and what is not made, and what is made out of the invisible is made visible by God alone. Genesis 1, 27-28, So God created man. Okay, so now this, is, this takes a turn. So first he's creating the universe, creating everything, and he's filling it. And then it says he created man, right? And he breathed life into that creation. So the very, very breath of God was breathed into man. And God blessed them. And then God gave them instructions, did he not? Okay, so first we have God speaks by calling everything into order in creation. Okay, that's the sovereignty of God. He upholds everything with His righteous right hand. But not only that, it's when God speaks, He gives us instructions. And the very first instructions He gave to man is to go be what? Fruitful and multiply, right? A lot of us are trying to do our part to do that. Be fruitful and multiply, right? And so we, 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 we own that, man. We take care of that. Okay? Well, that was the, one of the first commands. So the words of the Lord bring instruction into our life. Okay? They bring instruction into our life. So if we're not listening to the instructions, like I wasn't reading the instructions that I was supposed to be at DFW. I was headed to Bush Intercontinental Airport. I mean, I, I'm so glad I looked at the details in time. See, God highly values His Word. You know who else speaks? Satan speaks too. Satan speaks too. That was the, the second thing that was spoken. Where Satan also speaks in Genesis 3.1, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty and cunning than any wild animal that the Lord had made. Okay, now I think this is interesting. Satan was created by God. If y'all didn't know that, okay? So it says the Lord created him. So he was created by the word, by the mouth of God, in God's creation. But it says that he was more crafty. And he said to the woman, did God really say that? You can't eat of the, any, any tree in the garden. She said, well, no, just, just uh, you know, this one. And then the whole lie got twisted around. See, words are so important. Not only because they can be used for good ways. Man, that can be used in evil ways. And Satan is doing a really, really good job at twisting our words. He's doing a really good job at, 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 at the things we say. So think of it this way. 
When someone describes a beautiful sunset or a picture uh, of some place they've been, right? We begin to visualize that picture, right? That creation comes into our mind. Well, his words enable you to make meaning of all that. And so when a parent, uh, for example, reacts to a child's piece of artwork, right? I mean, parents, all you parents out there, whether it's beautiful or not, what do you say? Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so, oh, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, right? We do that. Well, why do we do that? Because we want our words to encourage them, right? We don't want to discourage them. Okay, now, if by the time they become like 20 years old and they want to go to art school, and you're like, oh, maybe you want to choose a different path, okay? But at that time, we want, we want to bring encouragement into their lives. All of the things we do have ramifications. For example, when those that are in leadership positions, that's where Paul goes to at the very beginning, right? He says, not many of you should become teachers. We should pause right there. If anybody thinks that they want to be a, a pastor or a teacher of God's word, right? We need to stop and think because what does he say? He says, you will be judged with a greater strictness than everybody else. Did you know that? Did you know that those that preach and teach the word are judged more harshly than everyone else with how we handle God's word? So we should take pause there because all of those speak to people in those leadership positions. So there are five ways, okay, trust me, I know you're probably thinking this is going to be the longest sermon in the history that Pastor Mark's preached sermons, okay? Trust me, we'll get to all five within the 30 minutes, okay? Uh, The first way that faith speaks is it speaks recognition of the great responsibility to teaching God's word. There's a great responsibility teaching God's Word. So what do we do? We don't, to a a young new believer, we don't come hand in the Bible and say, okay, hey, go teach this Bible study over here. Go instruct these other people. Some churches do. I mean, they're real quick to put the Word in somebody's hand and let them go teach. And, And so we have to be very, very careful. See, those who are charged with teaching God's Word belong to a a very influential part of the church and the ministry. Does it make it any more significant than other ones? Okay, because we, we read about that when we went through 1 Corinthians. We're all part of the body. There are all these parts that work together. It takes everybody working together. But it is a very influential part. In fact, teaching God's Word should be taken so seriously. It should be taken so seriously that in our responsibility to teach God's Word, okay, We should always pause and think, how is what is being taught in my church or my place of influence, right? How is it lining up with the Word of God? See, teachers must practice what they preach. And this is where it gets really dicey. gets really frightening. Teachers must use their tongues to share God's truth. See, it's easy to say, I want to go teach or I want to preach. In fact, I had a, um, uh, last time I was in Haiti, uh, I had a young uh, Haitian young man. I mean, he couldn't have been more than uh, 15 or 16 years old, right? And for whatever reason, he just idolized the American preachers. I, I don't know why. You know, he'd come up and he, he would hang out after our, our sessions with the pastors. He would ask all kinds of questions and and then he came up afterwards, and he said, he said, Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark. I said, I said yes, yes, how can, how can I help you? He says, I want to be a preacher. I said, really? You decided that just this week, you want to be a preacher? I said, okay, well, that's good. Tell me about your calling. He said, calling, what's that? I said, well, were you called to be a preacher? 
no, I just want to be a preacher. I want, I, want, I want to do what you do. And I said, okay, let's sit down. So we sat down. We had, a, we had a really lengthy conversation about teaching and preaching God's Word and how the Bible says that we need to be very careful how we handle God's Word. And so we don't take that lightly. The second thing is the faith that speaks recognizes the great potential of sinning in what we say. There's a great potential for sin in our life. Look at the next part. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle. And there's two times here you're going to see his whole body. He's able, able to handle everything that takes place. Every human being, including the greatest Christian leaders that have ever lived, um, have struggled in many ways with sin. Um, I love one of the podcasts I listen to coming into work really often is a lot of uh, R.C. RC uh, uh, Sproul's uh, final sermon series, and I've been listening to it. And one of the things I always take away, he is so transparent about his, his, uh, his potential to sin, right? I mean, I mean, I stand up here and tell you this morning, if not for the grace of God, I could sin in many ways. There are many ways that Pastor Mark can be led into sin, right? One of the first questions I ask a child when they're coming to me and, and saying, I want to receive Christ into my life as my Lord and Savior. I, I want to be a Christian. And, and the first thing we talk about is sin. Do you understand what sin is? And the first question I ask them after that is, does Pastor Mark sin, right? And they get this weird look at no, pastors don't sin. I'm going, yes, I do. I sin, right? Because I'm a sinner. I mean, all of us sin. See, we have to understand our sin nature. In fact, in Romans 3, 9 through 14, right? If, if you look through the whole context, I will read this for you uh, really quickly this morning. It says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. For we all have already been charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the sin. So remember I said that James is teaching and preaching to the Jewish culture. In many ways, they thought they were above, Gentiles above, everyone else. And so here, Paul says, are, are Jews any better off than Greeks, than Gentiles? No. He says, none is righteous, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one is good. Not, every, not even one. It says their throats are an open grave. And listen to this. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. And if you come all the way down to the very end to verse 18, and this gets to the heart of the matter, it says there is no fear of God before their eyes. They have tongues that are open graves. So literally, he's talking about rotting flesh. I mean, who, who would go open a grave? Anybody want to go, go to the cemetery today and open a dead body and exhume it? No, we don't want to do that. He says your tongues uh, can become like that. He says they use their tongues to lie and, the, and deceive people. He says they have snake venom spitting off of their lips. They curse people and they speak words of bitterness. But the problem identified in this verse is in verse 18. We have this problem. And the problem is we don't fear God. We don't fear God. Do we ever think about that when we say something, when something comes off our mouth that offends someone or doesn't encourage or build somebody up? I wonder what God thinks about this, right? I wonder what the holiness of God, I wonder how that has a ramification not only on my life, but other people's lives. So every Christian must admit their great potential for sinning in what they say. 
I think before we can ever grasp getting a hold of our mouth and the things we say, we have to understand, man, at any moment, that can turn on me, right? The smallest thing in my body can, can cause the greatest evil. At the journey, when we look for those who are going to handle the Word of God, we're very careful. And, and we don't do this to be divisive or to keep somebody from using their gifts if they genuinely have those. But, but you look at Paul's letter to Timothy. He says those who are called to be elders in the church, he must not be a current, current convert. He must be thought of well by outsiders. And the word literally is mature, right? So is he a mature follower of Christ? A mature Christian has learned to bridle his tongue. He doesn't, he doesn't back into James 1.26 into worthless religion, right? He's learned to ca- catch what he says. Have you ever thought about Jesus Christ? as he was ministering on this earth, how he was very calculated in what he says. When you read the words of Jesus, they're very calculated. And there were some times he didn't say anything at all. He just stood back and observed and listened. There were times, in fact, when he was on trial and he was fixing to be murdered and they were beating him and they were persecuting him. He stood and took all their accusations without saying one word back. And he's the only one that would have had the right to say anything. See, the title of rabbi in the, in the Old Testament meant my great one. Those holding that office were accorded a great respect. In fact, it was such a great respect that even if their father and mother and, and their rabbi had been captured and there was a ransom to be paid, they were called to go pay the ransom of their rabbi first. Okay, don't any of you do that with me, okay? Go get your mom and dad out of that, okay? But, but that's, that's how that looked. In fact, our appeal many times okay, is, is interest in teaching, is what do you have to say that's, that's going to encourage me or going to, um, going to make me feel good? See, we are not to teach or satisfy our own ego to the things we just want to hear. And so I want to tell you that too, but we're to preach and teach the gospel, the truth. See, it's an awesome thing to stand in, in an eternity-bound people, which you are as the church and preach and teach the Word, but I know I've shared in here many times before, the very first sermon I ever preached um, at the Journey Church, I was petrified. In fact, our our leadership at the time, they had to come find me. I was in the elementary school around by the back of the stage area, and man, I was in tears, and they said, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Are you okay? What's the problem? Somebody die? I said, no. I said, I just know what the Word says about taking the Word of God seriously. I would shudder to think that I would ever say anything that would lead somebody down the wrong path, that anything that would come out of my mouth would not be God's Word. See, I shudder even greater today when I hear teachers and preachers joke about things that are sacred to God. When they take things that should be, you know, the truth. And they, they begin to twist them and turn them around. I, I mean, I shudder to think when the clear teaching of the Bible is not taught and, and there's so much less gospel teaching. There are many ways we can misuse our tongue, but God takes the teaching of His Word very seriously. Um, I, I was watching uh, a bagpipe competition. Anybody ever heard bagpipes? Uh, I've always wanted to play them, but I've never bought any because I've heard it's not that easy (laughs) and it can be really bad Uh, so I noticed all of the judges had their hands over their ears 
And I'm like thinking, is it going to be a bad bagpipe competition? And so they start playing, right? And they all have their hands over their ears. And finally, I hear the commentator come out and say, you may be wondering, you know, in this real Scottish, I can't do Scottish anyway, accent. Uh, so why they have their, their hands over their ears? Well, it's because if you've ever heard a bagpipe, it's a droning sound, right? Well, above that are the notes. And so you hear the notes. So when they put their hands over their ears, it drowns out the droning sound. They can hear those clear, piercing, high notes that a bagpipe makes so they can hear if they're actually on pitch if they're actually playing the right thing um, I think many times in our life there's a low-level noise that surrounds the things people say okay wherever we go whether whether it's um, in traffic whether it's in a, a place like this so imagine if every word you spoke every day were laid before the judgment seat of Christ every day every word we speak is laid at the judgment seat of Christ and, and, and he examines the standard of its usefulness, of its kindness, of its strength, of its building up. See, if we thought about it, we could, we could put those words to much better use. We could, we could be helpful, we could be kind, we could be encouraging, we could be inspirational. See, one of the, one of the downsides of, of the omnipresence of God, I would assume, is that God hears everything. So he's going to hear all the negative, all the bad things we say, everything that comes into our life. We had an incredible opportunity yesterday to go to um, Harker Heights Police Station at 10 o'clock yesterday morning and we gathered around their flagpole with some of their officers and we just prayed over them. We wanted to encourage them. I would ask you a question. What is the last encouraging or, or strengthening thing you've said into somebody's life? See, a faith that speaks recognizes the great power the tongue holds. And so this is the next part he goes into. There is power with what you say. So he talks about the horse, okay, Talks about the ships, okay, and, and he also talks about a fire. So, so when you control the tongue, you generate power. So, so when, when words come out of your mouth, they have a sense of power. The person who's able, he says, to discipline these things, it's evidence that he has control, right? Have you ever heard somebody just completely out of control? You know, somebody who their words just flow out of the mouth, they're just completely out of control, See, James tells us that the first step to understanding the greatness of our sin and our potential to sin is understanding the power we have resting inside of our mouth. I don't know if any of you have ever owned horses um, or, or ridden horses, but if you don't, you would have to go to a, a boarding stable and rent a horse. And we used to own horses, but we don't anymore. And so when you go, you get what they call in the horse world trail horses. You know what trail horses do? They're pretty mindless. They just follow the trail, right? They know where the trail is. But there is one time of the day that they're going to pull against a bit, and they're going to want to get back to the stable as soon as possible. You know when that is? Feeding time. They know, especially later in the day. So here's a tip. If you're going to go on a trail horse, go earlier in the day. Don't go later. Because by the end of the day, they've done all these trail rides, and they know they're fixing to get fed. They want to get back to the stable. And so they start to pull on the bit. And this is a picture, I believe, that, that James is telling us. He says that if, if, if you put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body. And so you could just let the horse do what it wants to and go back and get the food right but no that's not what we do what we put come on 
Let's go. We're going this way. This is the way I want you to go. And he's saying that through God's power, we have control to lead the restless horse. The second thing he says, there's a rudder that that guides a ship. A ship, though very large, is driven by fierce winds. They're guided by a very, very small piece of the ship. But the pilot directs. And it's amazing how something so small in comparison to magnitude. I've stood on the, on the bridge of the USS Enterprise. Uh, at the time, it was the largest carrier in the fleet. This thing is a moving city, literally. Came into the Philippines and docked, and we got to go stand on the deck of it. But you consider the, the, the rudder that moves that ship through the ocean. such a small piece of the ship but it's able to guide the whole thing where it goes. So what does this mean for you and me? Have you ever had something coming out of your mouth you wish you hadn't said? We can all raise our hands. Yes, that happens, right? We have something coming out of our mouth, and and it just spirals out of control. Once it's left your lips, many times I can tell you personally, I wonder, why did I say that? Why did that come out of my mouth? Why, Why did that even happen? Well, then it becomes what? an uncontrollable thing okay it can become an uncontrollable thing once you've said that you can say something else and then something else happens and it just snowballs and so this is where James then talks about the fire and look what it says at the end of verse 5 he says how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting it on fire. And so the entire course of life is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast or bird or reptile or sea creature can be tamed. But as for the tongue, I mean, you can, so basically he's saying you can tame all these other animals. He's saying the, the tongue is an untamable thing. You can't tame it. There's no way in your own power you can tame this thing inside of your mouth. And he says it has the power to destroy. So if you ask anybody around here, they'll tell you about the infamous fire of 2012 on the Journey property. Okay, It was a a great idea by your pastor at the time. Well, it wasn't so great uh, because we were going to have a little pre-Easter uh, 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 bonfire of sorts and we we're going to have worship and it was on Good Friday and we had set everything out and prior to that in October we had this fall festival and set up this maze for kids to go through with all these pallets. Pastor Mark didn't take into consideration how fast and hot pallets burn. Apparently they burn very fast and very hot and so we were wondering what are we going to do with all these old pallets? We thought and at the time, it was all caliche out here. thought, there's, there's no risk. We'll just have a little, little bonfire, invite everybody out to sing some songs. Little did we know, the minute the, the match touched those pallets, it was like, whew. I mean, it was like a flaming inferno. I'm like, okay, this is not good. We have got to get this fire out. And I didn't realize at the time that they, they not only burn hot and fast, but they also put off a lot of black smoke which uh, alerted our fire department, <coughs> which showed up here. And the children had a great time playing with the fire hoses, but we got to put out the fire, right? And so Pastor Mark learned a great lesson that day that, you know, you need to be careful what you're putting that flame into because the kindling will burn great and hot. What's the best way to stop forest fires? 
clear out the underbrush, right? Make sure there's no fuel for the fire. See, that's what James is saying here, is to make sure that we're not fueling the fire. So if you drop a, a small spark, he says, into that kindling, it can cause great destruction. A fire reportedly started at our O'Leary Barn in Chicago at 8.30 p.m. on October 8, 1871. Anybody ever heard about that fire? Man, it, because it spread. Over 100,000 homes were lost. 17,500 buildings were destroyed. Hundreds of thousands of people left homeless. 300 people died. Over $400 million worth of damage. One little barn fire caused great destruction. Proverbs 16.27 says, A worthless man digs up evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Don't be a worthless man or woman. Show me a man or woman who stirs up strife, who is a gossip, who criticizes everything, who is proud, who is critical in their heart. And I'll show you someone that doesn't truly understand how to bridle his tongue. See, those who would never even consider going into your neighbor's house tonight and, and putting a match to it, right? Hopefully none of you are arsonists in here and would do that, right? We, we, same people don't do that. We don't think about doing that. But yet we'll put it into our mouth and we'll let it roll off our tongues. See, time does not correct the sin of the tongue. Did you know that? There's an there, there's a old adage, you know, that time heals all wounds. Uh, yeah, I struggle with that because it doesn't. In fact, when I go to, uh, to uh, do ministry at, um, with our Mighty Oaks guys, these are guys who have seen combat, they come back with PTSD, all kinds of struggles. You want to know what their main struggle is? It's not with the PTSD, it's not with all they experienced in war. It's because of something someone said when they were a child. Inevitably, every one of them. There was something that was said when they were a kid or a child. And then guess what? They've carried that into adulthood. They remember those things. Those words mean a lot. So a faith that speaks also recognizes that our tongue is, uh, is uh, our inability to tame the tongue, right? And so uh, we have struggles with taming it. Think of some of the largest and most feared creatures on the earth, right? The lion. Or the orca whale. How many of you would go step into a lion cage with, with a fierce lion without the lion tamer there helping control the lion? I wouldn't. We used to, at one time, we had a, actually had a circus here on the property. We set up the big tent and uh, used it as a ministry and outreach to our community. And they had, they had a big lion. I didn't know lions could get this big. And I walked by the tent, and all I hear is this. And I mean, it shook the ground. I'm like, mm, I'm not getting anywhere near that lion. But see, many of us will, will go into our lives and say things without letting God control our lives and our tongue and our language. Would you turn a hungry lion or angry snake loose in this room this morning? I hope not. We don't do that. In fact, the tongue cannot be tamed by man, but it can be tamed by God. That's what James says. He, says. he says, you have all of this. You have every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. So my tongue can't be tamed by me, but it can be tamed by God. The power of the Spirit has an amazing power over our tongue. What is one of the first things people notice about a new Christian who's truly for the first time, come to Christ. I hear this over and over again. Well, you don't talk like you used to talk. You, you don't say the things you used to say. 
Man, I love it when, when there's a person who's come to faith for the first time, and man, they used to cuss like a sailor. I mean, their language was harsh, and it was like they would let one fly out after the other. And the first time they catch themselves, oh, pastor, I'll just bleep, bleep. And then they're like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> and they catch themselves. Right? Well, what is that? That's the Spirit living inside of them. That's telling them the things they say are important. They mean something. They're significant. I've learned over my Christian life that it's pretty easy to fool people. But we can't fool people all the time. We can come into church. We can look gentle and nice with the things we say. But the minute the door closes on our homes, what do we say to our wife? What are we saying to our children? What do we say to the people we work with? How, do, how does the things we say affect their life? If the heart is filled with hatred, then hatred is what's going to spill out of our heart. And this comes to the last one, number five. A faith that speaks recognizes that our words are an indicator of our hearts. It always comes back to the heart. So at the, at the very end of this, he says, from the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brothers, these things should not be. These things shouldn't be. He says it should never happen. You know what he's, he's literally saying? You're going to come into church on Sunday morning and rejoice and sing praises to God, but then you'll walk out and, and it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. See, on our own, we are helpless. We're helpless to control this thing. And, and then he goes on to say, he says, does a spring pour forth from, from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear both olives and figs neither can a salt pond yield fresh water what is life giving so our words can bring life how do our words bring life how do they bring life into somebody water is a very significant thing in our culture and our world i challenge you well or i would encourage you to consider if you went into a country or a place today that didn't have fresh running water or you couldn't pick up a bottle, which I'm thirsty all the time nowadays, and, and drink it, right? How would that, how would that feel? Man, you feel desperate. <laughs> you feel thirsty all the time, right? I want some fresh water. We, we used to sponsor a child from Bolivia, and I got to go on a mission trip into the Andes. And when I went up there, the first thing that, that he wanted to do was show me the new working well in his village. It was the first one anywhere in that region of the Andes because they were so far off the grid, there was nothing. And they had the first fresh water that they could pull up out of the ground. See, that's what happens when we let good things flow out of our lives and out of our mouths and encouraging things. It is a refreshing thing. So let me ask you a question. If somebody this week gives you four words of encouragement and strength into your life, but one person says something negative and destructive in your life, which of those are you going to remember the most? The negative thing. I know, right? Me too. I go home and I'm like, I heard four really good words come out of somebody's mouth, but I heard something negative and destructive out of this person. I'm going to remember that. And we take those things to heart. Consider what Jesus said when he summoned the crowd again. He told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand nothing that goes into a person from outside is what defiles that person. If anyone has ears, let him hear and listen. 
When he went into the house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into man from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. So they're talking about the, the eating rituals of that time, right? Because they said you only had to eat kosher things. Okay, but here's here's the point. He says, then he said, what comes into a person that defiles him, right, from the outside is, is sexual immorality, thefts, murder, adulterers, greed, evil, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come within and they defile a person. And then the words that come out of a person, right, out of out of his overflow of his heart. So the things we say are an indicator of who we really are uh, and our heart is inside. So the nature of. Okay, of our life. See, the nature of a plant determines the fruit, right? We talked about that. I asked the kids several weeks ago. So what does an apple tree give you? Apples, right? Everybody knows that. What does a pecan tree give you? Pecans. Why? Because that's the nature. So what should a Christian give you? <laughs> Apples. <laughs> Christians should give you the fruit, right? The good fruit. We should be bearing those good things. In a recent book written by uh, Levi Lusco, he writes this. I thought this was interesting. He said, um, there's 72 different muscles that produce your speech. Have you ever thought about that? When you talk, there's 72 muscles that are producing your speech. And he says, over 16,000 words come out of your mouth every day. For some of you, a lot more. Okay, and so they just flow out, 16,000 words. And he says it adds up to 860.3 million words in your lifetime. That's a lot of words. See, God speaks to the fallen and dying and hopeless. What are you doing with the 830.3 million words that come out of your mouth every day? What do, what do we do with those? That's a lot of words. All of us are guilty of sinning with our words. James tells us that. But if we're completely honest with ourselves, James warns of leaving, leaving our words out there for someone to hear and, and for someone to have their life destroyed. See, this is where I want to encourage you this morning. In light of your sin, to recognize God's provision for our imperfection. We must recognize that God has provided for your imperfectness. Guess what? He knew that your words were not always going to come out right. Look at the disciples. You remember the whole scene um, where, where Peter and John, I mean, they're bidding for who's going to be first in the kingdom, who's going to sit at the right hand of the Lord when he comes into his glory. You know, they're arguing over this. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He even corrected their, their words and their language. See, God speaks in His creation, but Satan speaks from the fall. And many times, we're going back to the fall. We're going to the fallen man instead of the new creation we are in Christ. All of us have been burned by promises broken, burned by others, broken promises we've made. But God always keeps His promises. He's always faithful. In the beginning, right after the fall, what did God do? God spoke truth and life he spoke truth and life right how did he do that he said behold woman you're gonna have these are the consequences of your sin you're gonna have pain and childbirth but he says the day is coming when the seed of the promise will come and what did he say he said that he will crush the head of satan he will crush him 
Under his feet, he's talking about Jesus Christ. Now the church speaks as we recognize our responsibility to speak love and words of life. We grow together as the body of Christ. We need to recognize our responsibility to speak the gospel every day. The prophet Isaiah had an experience that changed his life. He stood in the presence of God in this vision. And and the first words out of his mouth were, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Right? He says, I come from a people of unclean lips. And as he watched the the creatures, the seraphim, as they, they were flying around the throne of God, they came and they took the tongs and they took a hot coal and they came and placed it on his lips. I want you to hear what he says at the very end because he hears a cry coming from the throne room of God saying, who will go for me? Who will go? And he says, here am I, Lord, send me. You know the, most, the two most significant words that can come out of your mouth this week and in your life and in other people's life? Jesus saves. People need to hear the gospel. They need to hear that Jesus saves. What are you going to say to someone this week? that's going to bring life, not death. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful, God, that you have breathed life into us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, at the end of, of, of all of this, all of life, Father, we stand before you in your presence, Father, with all uh, uh, of the, the, the negative things we've said, all the ways, God, that we have not spoken truth. And Father, You have cleansed us of all unrighteousness, not because of who we are, and not even because You, you know, Father, all the things we'll even maybe say this week or, or they'll roll off our tongues. Father, I pray that we would learn to control that restless evil in our life and, and, and to understand we can't do it on our own. We need You, Father. And that the words Jesus saves will be the first thing that rolls off our mouth, Father. That we'll look for every opportunity in this world today, Father, to speak life, to speak truth. God, to speak love into people's life that are hurting and in desperate need of you. And Father, please forgive us, have mercy on us for the times that we have fallen so short. And Father, that our words have fallen so, so very short of the truth. Take us this morning, Father and redeem our words, redeem our life. In your name we pray, amen.